This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status, and Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm looking at him! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 171 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin, who's a little crispy this morning. He's had a couple issues with some Wi-Fi and this, that, the other thing. So, you know, I don't want to say Scott's like prone to get a suspension here for a slew foot, but he's in that type of mood today. So, Scotty, Scotty, why don't you talk to the people? Are you really upset or are you just kind of, you know, it's one of those days for you? Just one of those days. But, uh, you know, I think it's going to give me it's going to give me some fight. It's going to give me some energy. Uh, more than the Bruins had in the third period last night. So I think it's going to be beneficial for the entire podcast, honestly. Uh, I feel um, bad for the players in the scrum this morning after practice. You're going to be asking some hard-hitting <laughs> questions. Um, but, yeah, no, so uh, not to bury the lead, but Bridget, the um, first of all, how are you? But the the Bruins the Bruins lost to the Oilers last night, 3-2. to two. Um, We'll dive into it. Bridget, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm good. Well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad we're all in a, in a good mood for the start of this podcast. Um, See, so my, guys, my my edu- my agitation will offset Bridget's sleepiness, so it's gonna be. Good. I'm awake, guys. I'm awake. Brid- Bridget's like she's like the Bruins after five days off. Just you know, gotta. You know, oh, I'm, you I'm like the Bruins. I'm like the Bruins after five beers till three a.m. in a Nashville bar on the <laughs> on the road trip. That's yeah, what I'm like. Well, they were pumped with their siblings in the crowd for those games. So, Bridget <laughs> and Scott, I'll ask you this. If I were to tell you going into last night's game. When are we doing the siblings pod? Oh, that's a good point. I have <laughs> I have, I have, have four siblings, so it's going to be the Brady Bunch of deep <laughs> faces on here. <laughs> My brother doesn't know shit about hockey. Perfect. <laughs> Neither do we. <laughs> but Melvin does. Melvin does, yeah. Um, so if I were to tell you guys going into last night that the Bruins are going to lose to the Oilers, but Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl will be kept at bay, you'd be probably pretty surprised, right? I mean, I feel like the Bruins kind of beat themselves last night. Yeah, especially if you told me that they were up 2 nothing after the first period. Um, you know, it looked like – I didn't think they played great in the first, but they they get the one goal and then they get – actually, first like they, they got a second one on the power play from Krejci – 
gets called back for offsides like 35 seconds before the goal. Um, but then Krejci sets up Pasternak right at the buzzer with under a second to go. And you're thinking, wow, all right. They came out of that with a 2 nothing lead, and they continue to keep McDavid at bay. And you're thinking, all right, they, they, they should have this. But they really just took their foot off the gas and kind of, especially offensively, like there was no real hard push to get a third. They seemed to kind of be going through the motions a little bit. And that's, you know, they're going to have to guard against that because they're going to be facing a lot of teams that are more desperate than them down the stretch. You know, they have this big lead. They don't need every single point. Uh, They don't, you know, really need to like go all out. But at the same time, you don't want bad habits to creep in. And at least last night, you know, some did. They, they kind of started settling for outside shots. They got too cute and passed up some good chances. Um, and, you know, Jim Montgomery said that after the game. And at the same time, they let the Oilers back in. You know, I didn't think the Bruins were – I didn't think they were bad defensively. Like you said, they kept McDavid and Dreisaitl at bay. All the goals were, you know, one grizzly blows an edge, and it's, it's a four-on-one, and it's like – I'm not, you know, what are you going to do about that? Like, guys guys lose an edge. It happens. Second one, a rare Patrice Bergeron turnover, a bit of a miscommunication with McAvoy. Like, that never happens, so can't get worked up about that one. And then, uh, you know, the third one, kind of a moving screen. I don't think Swayman ever saw the shot, but he, he did misplay before that, so like, that's one thing to clean up is, you know, his touch trying to move it to his defenseman was off. Um, Swayman, Swayman said he didn't see it when we asked him after the game. Yeah, Scott was busy trying yeah, to run no, I don't, the Bergeron. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't like. I don't think he. Yeah, I don't think he saw the shot. Like, I mean, clearly it beat him five hole from the point, so obviously he didn't see it. But um, you know, just even bef- before that though, like he kind of had the turnover that allowed the Oilers to keep possession. So just just a little off. They just left the door open, and Edmonton took advantage. Yeah, and so to to the point that they were passing up shots, like simultaneously, I thought the third line got a few of their better chances um, at like when they were kind of in a lull. But I also saw Coyle pass up shots like several times that I thought he probably just made that extra pass when he didn't need to and just like play more simple, just put it on net. Um that line, like I said, at times it was doing the right thing and trying to get a little spark going. Like Frederick, I can re- recall like Frederick having a chance out in front. Bertuzzi put it out um, from behind the net to him. But that's kind of where I saw some of the the overpassing in the because like it ended up being turnovers by Coyle instead of shots on goal that maybe Frederick grabs a rebound off of or or whatnot. And the first line was guilty of it too, um, where they were kind of over overpassing overthinking um and just a little bit passive the best that they looked was on that power play that Krejci scored and unfortunately um even Montgomery and the Bruins knew 20 seconds prior to Krejci scoring that it was offside and what Montgomery said was he was hoping that someone shot it it got deflected into the netting and they got an offensive zone face-off because they had known right away that it was and it was offside. So like their video people had already told them. Um, so when Krejci teed it off and it went in, it was, they, they knew what the result was going to be, but 
to like analyze the plays that led up to it, that power play unit actually looked really good. You know, when I think about this game, it's just like, obviously, as we said off the top, McDavid and Drysaddle didn't really do a whole lot of anything. So if you're the Oilers, you can sit there and say, how often will that happen, right? But from a Bruins perspective, I mean, the Grizzlick, the Grizzlick turnover, that's a nothing play. Like you have possession, you're in the attacking zone. That's not something that was a systemic lapse. That was an individual blowing a tire and it goes the other way. So that's not a goal to worry about because it was just a one-off type thing. And honestly, I, I can probably count on like one hand in the last 20 years, the amount of times I've seen Bergeron um, turn a puck over that led directly to a goal. Um, and he also turned a puck over a second time when he went off the glass. But at that point, he was kind of in panic mode. And, you know, he, he, he and McAvoy just had a miscommunication. And that was that, I mean, that never happens and it probably will never happen again. So those two goals allowed the Oilers back into the game, obviously. Um, and then the third goal you guys touched on, it's just, it kind of happens when your foot's off the gas. What, what, what annoyed me is like, and look, it was their ninth regulation loss of the season. Okay, so let's keep some perspective here. And I don't mean you guys, I just mean in general, when we're discussing this, this, this Bruins team after a loss, like, yeah, we're going to talk about some negatives because we have to. But like, we understand it's not, it's not the end of the world. But like, what annoyed me watching that game, and Jim Montgomery commented on it afterwards, and maybe you guys have the direct quote in front of you at some point, but he commented on just how they, they were non-competitive they were a non-competitive team offensively last night. And I thought that that was the case up until, oh crap, what happens? We're down a goal with five minutes left. And all of a sudden Krejci's crushing guys in the four check and, and, and they're zipping up, they're zipping the puck around quite simply guys. They just weren't moving their feet, especially in that third period. They were not moving their feet. And it's why the Oilers were able to tie the game and, and get the go ahead goal. And I watched that game and I said, you know what, when the final buzzer went, I said, they didn't deserve to win this game because they didn't play winning hockey in the final 20 minutes. Now, 99.9% of the time this year, they have. And it was 100% of the time up until this game, they closed games out in the third period. But you know what? Lesson learned. You can't, you, like, they've been so good this year. It's not like they have to learn a ton of lessons. But again, it's a friendly reminder. Like, you're going to lose games. But in the back of their mind, they need to know you have to keep your skating game going or else you're screwed. It doesn't matter who you're playing, but especially in the playoffs, keep your feet moving. They started moving their feet when they realized they needed to tie the game. Um, it's a long season. They're allowed a couple games here and there, but that's what jumped out to me. Their skating legs weren't there in the third period and it cost them. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, and this is like this is what they're going to have to guard against down the stretch here because 
we know there's going to be some load management. We know they don't need every single point. We know other teams are more desperate than them. And yet you can't allow bad habits to creep in, you know, so whether it's settling for shots from the outside, not getting to the net, not being aggressive enough on the forecheck, whatever it is, like all, you know, like you said, just like the pure effort, the, the skating, they can't let that, you know, be lax. Like they can't let that go down the stretch. Um, and it's going to be a challenge because again, like they're trying to walk that line of, yeah, we want to keep playing hard. We want to build our game towards the playoffs, but they also, you know, want to make sure they're staying healthy and prioritizing, you know, how much guys are playing and all that stuff. And it's, you know, those are often conflicting, but, um, you know, I think the the big key though is that like when guys are on the ice, they have to be going all out, like leave the minutes, the load management, all that, leave that up to Montgomery and the training staff. And, you know, when they're on the ice, like they still have to find a way to kind of dig and make sure that they're playing as hard as they can and, uh, building up good habits and not letting, um, you know, some of the, some of the potentially bad habits like creep in. And again, we're talking about one loss that ended a 10 game winning streak, by the way. So yes, not worth panicking over at all, but it is sort of, you know, a little bit of a preview of like what some of these games, these final 19 games down the stretch might be like for them where, you know, they're, they want to be playing the right way when the playoffs start, but how do you keep that up in the regular season when they really have very little to actually like tangentially play for uh, the rest of the way? Yeah, that's not, that was not a game. I don't expect a game like that from them in the playoffs. Like that, that's just not, I, I mean, I understand it could happen, but that it just doesn't seem likely that that's something they're going to, that's the kind of effort they're going to put forward when the playoffs start. But um, yeah, that, there we've covered, you know, the, the issues with, you know, the offense, the energy, whatever, but on the very brief amount of time, we got to see the new look power play um, with Orlov on it. Um, and then that second unit that actually did better than the first unit. Um, what did you guys think? Do you think that going back to that, in you know, in the next few games could be something that gets their power play going. I mean, I'd like to see them give it a little bit of a longer look. Like I, you know, I don't want to pull the plug on Orlov getting a shot on that top unit after one game, but, and I mean, they only had two power plays. So only, you're only talking about four minutes and, and the second unit got quite a bit of that time. So it was probably only, I don't know. What was Orlov's power play time? I'm going to guess it was right around two minutes, maybe. Uh, yeah, 2.06 Orlov had on the power play. So that's not a ton of time. I would point out that they didn't have any shots on goal on either of their power plays. Um, the only one was the Krejci one that, you know, would have been a goal but gets disallowed. So And doesn't, and doesn't count as a shot because it technically never happened. <laughs> they put the clock back. Right. Yeah, so it's like it, there. It's not. It, it wasn't an immediate success. Uh, like I, I would just say that it wasn't. It's not like they went out there and you know caught fire and holy crap, Orlov's bombing one timers all over the place. Like 
But now it still looks pretty sloppy. There's still work to do. Yeah, but think about it. Like, so the, the very first look they got on it, DeBrus got hurt like 15 seconds into it. So like DeBrus took like that shot up in the chest. Luckily, we asked Montgomery about, about it after the game, and he said it was just a, like a wind situation where the wind got knocked out of him. He came back and played the rest of the game. He came back like shortly after, but when he got off the ice, it didn't look good. But anyway, that's how the that power play started was, you know, with Orlov on there for the first time, all of a sudden, 15 seconds in, timeout because DeBrusque's trying to get off the ice, and then it kind of threw off that power play, I thought. And then with that second unit, it was Krejci, Lindholm, Bertuzzi, McAvoy, and Zaka. And they had some really good passing going on. That pass from McAvoy all the way across from one dot to the other to Krejci was was really nice, perfect. And he could have shot it too, but he he went for the extra pass and Krejci teed it off. So um, I liked what that unit was able to do. And you you see a new addition on that unit as well with Bertuzzi. Yeah, I mean, for me, I just need more time to see um, with Orlov. Obviously, as Scott said, it was couples couple brief looks. It's you don't make a change and then just not give it room to breathe, right? So I need to see, need to see a little bit more, and I think uh, I think this this home and home with Detroit will probably be a good opportunity to see that. You know, as far as the second unit goes, I'm a little conflicted because I feel like I feel like Pavel Zaka has been like one of the best zone entry and puck retrievers all year for the Bruins on the power play. Like when that second unit's on the ice. Like there's like a there's a Krejci esque calmness to his game with zone entries, but he has more quickness than Krejci, and like that's just like what are you gonna do? Put him on the first unit and take away like Marchand or or DeBrusque or Bergeron? Like no, and Pashnak no. So I, I mean I think that second unit's where he's gonna be, and it's good to have balance on both units. But that's something I've picked up too. Is I just really like I like his his success rate at just retrieving pucks in the power play. Um, he seems really good at that for me. Um, but in general, I need to see a little bit more of these, uh, these new looks to make an actual kind of uh, assessment of them. Um, one last thing I wanted to mention too, that I noticed last night, the Bruins were, were weren't great in was, um, uh, puck possession. I, I didn't, I didn't love their decision-making. I thought they were, they were, they were turning the puck over too often. Um, and I think that stems from the lack of skating game that they had. When you when when your legs aren't moving, when your feet aren't moving, when you're not when you're not synchronized with your teammates out there, that's when that's when you you start get turning the puck over and you're getting lazy with the passes because nobody's really moving. There's no mojo. So I think it all stems from the state from the skating game. But I noticed that last night too. Like they were just a little stationary. Um, I know, I know one of the big talking points in Boston media when they try to nitpick things with David Pasternak who's one of the best hockey players in the world um, is that he turns the puck over a lot. And for the most part, I sit there and I laugh at it. Cause I say, you know what, when you have the puck in your stick a lot, chances are you're going to turn it over more than others, but also he scores, he's a 50, 60 goal scorer in this league. So like you take the good with the bad, but I will say it is something he needs to, 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 to work on because it, as good as he is, and as much as your success rides on him, if you're in a playoff, an important playoff game, important time of the game, overtime, whatever, series altering type of game, you have to protect the puck in certain mo- 
all the all throughout the whole game. But like last night, there was one play in particular, and I and I know this is nitpicking, but we do three episodes a week on the Bruins, so I'm gonna talk about it. Where there was under five minutes to go in the game, and he just kind of gave the puck away to Connor McDavid in the neutral zone. And McDavid comes down the ice with four minutes and fifty seconds left in the game on an odd man rush and like could have just iced the game. And it's just like you have you can't turn the puck over there with that guy on the ice. And it's just something that he just has to be a little bit better at it. That's all I'm saying. Like, I understand how good he is, how important he is. And I know it's not the end of the world, but I would hate to see David Pasternak have a costly giveaway in the playoffs that leads to a goal against or something like that. And have, and then have all the, uh, the pundits be like, Oh, see, he turns the puck over. He's a liability. Like I want him to prove those people wrong as opposed to, you know what I mean? So that's just something I noticed as well last night is uh, in addition to the other stuff we talked about already. Yeah, and I think there's a difference between him turning it over because he's trying to move on the rush down the wing, you know, one-on-one against a defenseman. Like, that's that's where I'm okay with him taking chances. Uh, to your point, like, if it's in the neutral zone or breaking out of the D zone, that's where, like, I think he can be a little safer. And it's like you you don't have to take chances in, in those parts of the ice, or at least not as many of them. Um yeah, I mean, he still he continues to lead the NHL in giveaways, and I know different arenas like record these stats differently, so there's you know some caveat there. But yeah, it's like it's all the guys who have the puck the most, but it's still not a category you want to be leaving, be leading, you know. So David Pasternak has 90 giveaways as registered by the NHL on the season. Connor McDavid, who obviously touches the puck as much as anyone is 11th with 65. Now I know that's Connor McDavid and like, I'm not expecting Pasternak or anyone else to be Connor McDavid. He is an all-time great player, but it is kind of like proof that you can have the puck a lot. You can be creative and not lead the league in turnovers. So yeah, some, some cleaning up for sure. Um, one last thing on the power play. I just wanted to touch on, uh, on Wednesday, I think it was, we talked to Brad Marchand after practice and I, and I asked him about the power play and he said, you know, basically like we just need, we need more movement. We need bodies moving. We need pucks moving faster. Um, you know, we've never been a good power play when we're stationary. And I think Marchand himself has at times been guilty of that. And I thought last night, he was a couple of times where he would get the puck and just kind of stand there and hold it and like wait for something to open up. And when that works and that patience pays off and, you know, Pasana gets open and he hits a passing lane or whatever, it looks great. But there are times where like, I see the puck get to Martian on that right elbow. And it's like, I want to see him move either moving in or, you know, towards the slaughter going towards the net or circling out high or something to get the defense moving. I feel like too often he gets the puck over there at the right dot and just kind of like holds it for five seconds, waits for something to happen. And I, we know he can, he can make things happen. And I just feel like I want to see him do that more, you know, it's like just drive to the net. And even if it gets ugly, like create some chaos, you know, do more than just like wait for someone else to move around and open up. 
Yeah, I mean, that's when, and Bridget, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that to follow up, but I would just say quickly, like, that's when the Bruins' power play to me is at its best, and that's kind of what you're talking about, Scott. Like, when they're moving with and without the puck, when you when you have McAvoy in that top unit and he's circling around the offensive zone and Pasternak's going from, from circle to circle and giving different looks, I'm on my forehand, I'm on my offside. When Marshan starts buzzing, all the while you have Bergeron kind of in that bumper, like, just reading everything, like a little, a little snake in the weeds, like, that's when they're most successful. You don't, you don't want to be stagnant and, and, and flat-footed because you're making the penalty killers' lives far too easy. And the goaltender only has to worry about, like, okay, so Martian has the puck on the right circle. All right, I see where Bergeron is. Okay, I know out of my peripherals, Pashnak's, like, here, he's creeping down. A little bit easier, you know? But if you're if everybody's moving and, and attacking and creating different looks, like you're talking about, Scott, that's when the Bruins pop is at its best. I think a lot of that stems from confidence when things are going well. So I think if they get a couple goals here and break through, that might happen. But until then, they're just kind of fighting it a little bit. I guess one question from, and I actually, I I know what my answer is, but was there anyone from the Bruins in that game that you thought was bringing, like bringing the energy when other people weren't? Because I can't off the top of my head really pick out really one guy that was doing enough to, to kind of like lift everybody up. I mean, I would say like Orlov's defending stood out as a positive. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know about opportunities to really like make things happen offensively, but I thought he was aggressive defending. He was stepping up on guys. Um, he was part of a big part of the effort of shutting down McDavid. So I thought he was bringing intensity on defense. He knocked McDavid down behind the net once. He knocked Dreisaitl down another time. Um, so that stood out to me as someone who was bringing intensity, at least at, at the defensive end um, and breaking up entries and all that. Um, yeah. that. But yeah, it, it's tough that there definitely weren't a lot of guys doing it. I mean, I thought, uh, I thought like AJ Greer was trying out there trying to make an impact in the forward check. I thought Frederick was moving his feet pretty well to, at, at times. Um, you know, Hathaway, like those those types of guys that, like, you have to bring that to be effective. I thought they were doing what they could, um, but it just wasn't there up and down the lineup, um, in my opinion. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, and, I, and, and yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say I because I we don't really there's not really anyone to like go over with that. I also want to talk about just the deep pairs. Um, so changing the pairs again, Clifton out, and we, we see Forbert Grizzlick, which to me I just do not like as a pair at all. I, it, it's. I feel like you're reading my mind at times because because I was gonna bring this up and I was gonna throw it to Scott as well because last night was um if if you're on if you're on board the uh, the Matt Grizzlick out of the lineup train because whatever X Y and Z that that turnover kind of fueled the fire for some and I know I know all of us on this podcast know how good Matt Grizzlick is 
Um, but Scott, I don't know if you uh, wanted to defend your, your, your fellow Terrier, maybe to some of the people out there saying when, see, see, he, he shouldn't be in there, but um, that was just more bad luck than anything. Yeah. The, the, the turnover was bad luck. Like I can't get too worked up about that. Although he did lose an edge on another play too, which was odd. I was like, did he just not get a good skate sharpening in? Did, I don't know. Did it, did his dad's bull gang, like maybe not do a good enough job on the ice? Like, I, I don't know what was going on. It was because a couple of other guys lost edges too. So I don't know what was happening, but um, I thought, I mean, the thing with him and forward is like, I didn't think they were bad. You know, the Oilers really didn't get much when they were on the ice. I think they might have had like one or two shots against when the two of them were together. Um, but it's just not a natural fit. Like it's, it feels like you're trying to, like if he's there, if he's playing there come playoffs, assuming, you know, injury elsewhere, it feels like you're just kind of forcing it. Like you're just trying to force a way to get Grizzly into the lineup. Like he's on his offside. He's on a third pairing with a defensive defenseman that I just don't think is really the ideal spot for him. And Forbert and Clifton have been really solid as a third pairing. And like, that's more of kind of the natural type of third pairing that you would expect. That's going to, you know, have some physicality, be able to handle a lot of D zone shifts. So it's like, I'm fine with giving Grizzly a look there. I'd be fine with them having another game together at some point um but it doesn't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense like in the playoffs to force him into that spot when what you already had as a third pairing was was really solid i mean i don't want to beat a dead horse but like i've said it before i'll say it again like for me it's the pairs if if the playoffs start tomorrow it's mcavoy orloff lindholm carlo and forbert and clifton it's just it's 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 the most um, it's there's chemistry on each pair, there's diversity on, diversity on each pair. Each pair brings something different to the table for for your team in a given situation. It's like that. It's like that line in Miracle when when Herb Brooks says to Craig Patrick, "I'm not looking for the for the best players. I'm looking for the right ones." Like you can make the argument all day long. Matt Grizzlick is a better hockey player than Derek Forbert and Connor Clifton pound for pound. Like he has more skill. Like, I get that, 100%. And if it wasn't for Dimitri Orlov's presence on this team, he would be in your top four. But it's about redundancy. It's like Orlov brings what Grizzly brings. And if everybody's healthy, he brings what he brings in in a skating game, in a transition game, but he has more finish and more polish offensively. But he also has a little bit more snarl and a little bit more experience. Size. Size, experience. He's He was a top-pairing guy on a coupling team. Like it's that just just leave it at that. So if, if anybody wants to argue about Grizzlick over Orloff, objectively, you're wrong. And if you want to make the argument about him being on the third pair over Clifton or Forbert, it's not always about who's the more talented player. It's about what do you want that third pair to be for your team? And you can't tell me last night that Connor Clifton's physical presence wouldn't have wouldn't have helped that third pair. Clifton and, and, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, Grizzly and Forber, as, as Scott said, is not, it's not a match made in heaven. There's no chemistry there. So that's, that's my thoughts on it. And I, and, and I, and I don't like bringing it up every week because I feel like I'm um, 
speaking bad of a player that I really like in Grizzly, and he's like seems like an awesome kid, local kid, awesome family. Like it's nothing to do personally, but I'm looking at this roster and I'm trying to see what's what's best for them when they're healthy, and he's the odd man out if they're healthy, in my opinion, and I think in the, in the opinion of most because it, it gives you the most cohesive in diverse defensive unit to help you in all situations over the course of a hockey game in a playoff series, if they're healthy. And something that popped into my head too was remember when, so when the deal to get Orlov and Hathaway was done, there was talk that Clifton was part of the deal. And I think that the fact that they weren't willing to part ways with Clifton as part of a deal for anything tells you that they want him in their top six. Like, if that if it's true that he was on the table and then they they wanted to make sure that that he stuck around, I think it tells you exactly what you need to know about how they want their third pair to shake out and they want to keep them in those top the, in the top six and that that kind of does leave Grizzly as the odd man out. Yeah, I, I actually don't think Clifton was ever on the table. I think that was just a completely erroneous report. Where <laughs> not really sure where that came from, but. Um... Yeah, I I think Clifton was always staying put. So well, it makes uh, sense. I wouldn't have thought they would want to trade him if they didn't have to. But either way, I do I do think that that third pair is strongest with Forbert Clifton. the The Grizzly turnover was not because of the pair, but it just didn't. It just looked awkward, like almost like when we saw the. Forbert McAvoy pair for for a while we were like this just is an awkward pair it just doesn't look it doesn't look nice it I don't know it, it you're you're still in the situation where you have a good problem and you have seven good defensemen that you have to you know try to rotate rotate around but I do think Clifton was kind of missed in that game against the Oilers so Scott, I know you're on a tight schedule with, with practice soon, so I, I just wanted to bring up one other thing they mentioned on the broadcast. I noticed it too. Um, without Taylor Hall in the lineup, I think there is a pretty clear lack of speed. I know it's a very obvious statement, but there's a bit of a lack of speed um, taken out of the Bruins lineup there. And does that concern you and Bridget, does that concern you if they have to enter the playoffs without Taylor Hall's speed and backing off defenders as a, as a forward unit. Uh, is that something that worries you at all? Obviously they brought in Tyler Bertuzzi um, because they knew these guys were on IR, but Bertuzzi speeds on his game. A lot, a lot is his game. It's not speed. So does that worry you if, if, if he's say not back in time for the playoffs, at least round one? Um, I mean, it's not ideal, but I, I don't think it's like a deal breaker for them. I, I think they still have enough speed and they can still attack enough different ways that uh not super concerned about. It. I mean, DeBrusque still brings some to the top line. You know, Pasternak, like not really a blazer, but he can obviously uh put defenses on on their heels as well. Uh and then that that third line, Bertuzzi Coil. Frederick, like they can do it a different way. You know, they can do it with power. They can do it with forechecking. Um, and, you know, and I, we had kind of talked about this during that stretch where uh, Hall, you know, was going a while without points. 
like we haven't seen him really you hadn't really been seeing him use his speed as much as last year or years past where you know like i i called him like an automatic zone entry because de- defenses just had to back off so much and like you weren't seeing that quite as much anyway so it's not like that was a huge part of the bruins offense where you know they were just running scoring chances through him using a speed down the wing all the time. Like it's nice to have. And yeah, if, you know, if, and when he comes back and they get that back, it'll be an asset, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's a huge, huge loss because I think this team should still have enough other ways to attack. Yeah. But I, I get Brian's point because he is so, like, that is something different that he can bring. Um, and I, I think that, at times when he's doing it well, it is really dangerous. And, and I, I did notice that that's another person yesterday you're watching the game and you're like, you know, I wonder what this looks like with, with Hall here. Um, You know, if he were to be playing in that game, but um, we have not gotten another update. I mean, he was supposedly going for a second opinion and then we just haven't heard what the second opinion results were. Um, I did see Nick Felino. Um, with a crutch and um, you know his foot or not his foot his leg like you know um, he was just crutching along slowly uh, down the hallway so um, he still seems to be (laughs) kind of far away but we haven't heard updates on these guys have have uh, has anybody been asked about those updates and scrums guys or is the media kind of staying away from that question now Montgomery was asked either it was either Monday or Wednesday after one of their practices this week and said like no new no new update and I I mean they'll be asked about again you know well, we might ask Montgomery we're recording this just before Friday's practice so he might be asked then um but I kind of feel like that's going to be the company line like I think they're just going to leave it open-ended and be like we don't really know and then you know Basically, like until one or both of those guys step on the ice for practice, there's we're not going to hear a whole lot. Is is just my guess. Maybe we keep asking, and at some point they they give us more. But I kind of get the sense that they're just going to be hush hush for a while. Yeah, I mean, people are going to keep asking because, like I said, it it was known and they mentioned that he was going for another opinion. So people are going to just keep asking to try to see what, what that opinion might've been. But um, yeah, his absence is, you, you can notice that. I don't Bertuzzi's a good um, replacement for him, but I still feel like that line is much better off with Hall. Um, so hopefully by the playoffs he gets back, but we'll, you know, we'll just keep an eye on whatever the, the updates may be for him. Well, and, and that line changes like it would be great if you got some time before the playoffs even just like the last couple games maybe because that line could also change like if it's going to be Bertuzzi flips over to the right side and Frederick goes to the fourth line like that's that's a different look like Mm -hmm. you know Hall Coyle Bertuzzi is a very different look than anything they've had on on that line this season so the uh speaking of Bertuzzi the Bruins play his former team uh, home and home this weekend, Saturday, Sunday. Um, I think they're both one o'clock games or one thirty or something like that. So the next time we speak, will I presume will be after probably the second of those games. Um, 
Was there anything you guys wanted to discuss before we let Scott out of here so we can go pepper the Bruins brass with questions after practice? Um, I'm good. I don't think so. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how, how they respond, obviously. Like, not that, you know, one regular season loss of the Oilers. Like, I don't even think it really qualifies as, like, quote-unquote adversity. But they, you know, they do take pride in not losing two in a row and all that. So, I think you would expect a pretty strong response Saturday. And then and then we'll, we'll see about Sunday. Montgomery had said that he didn't think he was going to start resting guys yet because they had the four days off this week. Um, so even though it's three and four and there's travel in there, he thought everyone would be fine. But, you know, I, I wonder if that changes. Like, I, I wonder if he does rest anyone that Sunday game. Yeah. Um, I, and I did, I just thought of something. So, um, Bruins are one o'clock Saturday and one thirty Sunday, but Saturday, I just want to plug my, my broadcast. So after the Bruins game Saturday, um, there's a bunch of hockey East playoff games. So I'm broadcasting the UMass Lowell at UConn game at 4 PM on Nesson plus. So after the Bruins game, just keep watching hockey. <laughs> um, go watch that game, uh, on Nesson plus. Are all three of our teams in the playoffs this year? UMass is already out. Uh, oh, they are? UMass not anymore. They, oh, sorry, Bridget. They got knocked out mm-hmm. by uh, the, the Andre Gasso machine at BC. Bruins yeah. prospect heating up down the stretch. Mm. Well, then uh, go Warriors. I know Scott's a big Merrimack fan. So <laughs> we'll, see if, we'll see if BU plays Merrimack in the finals, and we'll have to have a little face-off at the Garden or something, if that's even how the bracket shakes out. But BU Yeah, it enough. would be because – yeah, BU's the top seed. Mer- Merrimack's the two. It's the highest Merrimack's ever finished in the hockey's regular season. Hell so, yeah. yeah, good good for them. Uh, Vermont upsetting Maine ruined a potential BUBC quarterfinal. Uh, that that would have been the matchup on Saturday, but now it's BU Vermont. I think Merrimack has BC right, I believe. So yeah, you get Absolutely. all four of those games right after Bruins on Saturday. Yeah, so yeah. hockey all day is is really what what you should be doing. Yeah, all day Mer- Saturday. Merrimack is definitely America's team. I think I think they'll be the, the, the whole nation will be pulling for the Warriors if they if they go to the national uh, tournament. So probably gonna win. Actually, they're probably ranked anyway, so they might be anyway. But regardless, they're actually not ranked high enough to make it. Like, as all a- right, all right, enough out of you, enough out of you. Go Warriors! You're just mad the Minutemen are done. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> BU like, is no. the only team that's ranked high enough right now to You're make like, it. Brian, like, I think object, I think Merrimack might. Yeah, I think Merrimack might barely be in, but like they probably need to win another game or yeah, two. To they're they're one of those ones so. where they'll they'll get knocked out when one of the at large like one of the tournament winners is a non ranked team. They're right on the bubble. They yeah. could they could pull themselves into it. So Brian, there you go. But um. Yeah, to be safe, they'll have to win the conference tournament. Will you two stop pissing on my parade, please? Sorry. I mean, I will say, in all, in all fairness, when I was at Merrimack for four years, I, I think I went to, like, two games. So I'm not really a diehard. I'm more of just a, a general fan. But, yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, listen to Bridget on the broadcast. And um, thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you guys uh, after the weekend's games. <laughs> ¶¶